0: This audio recording is of Restoration Road's regular Sunday service, September 3rd, 2017. The speaker is Sam Ford. More information can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. Well, good morning. Some of you, most of you know I am. Some of you are like, who's that dude? Um, I am very glad to be back. My name is Sam, and I have the joy of preaching here a lot. Um, I was gone for three months, and it was glorious, and I am here today, full of joy and tremendous gratitude. Um, I'm grateful to all the visitors who came and stayed despite three months of perhaps a little unorthodox uh, months for us. Uh, I'm actually extra grateful. Um, many know, some don't, that that my old friend Brad Loomis is here. Um, he was the first worship leader for Damascus Road Church years ago. And his fingerprints are all over both churches. So I'm grateful that he is here today. And check out his music, Bradford Loomis. Um, I am grateful for all the members who I uh, heard just were faithfully serving in greater capacities um, in my absence. And it's just a testimony to the character of the church. Um, I am grateful for the investment of the church in the life of my family. um, Because it is a big investment to let us stop for three months, and um, it was well worth it, and I thank you for that. I'm grateful for the leaders, especially um, Brian and, and Mark, um, who, uh, who with the elders carried uh, the mantle of leadership with courage and grace, and I'm grateful for all the other leaders and the staff who sacrificed more than uh, they perhaps ever do um, out of love for the Savior, and love for our church, and love for uh, their tired pastor. Um, and I'm grateful for the different three-strand pastors that came and preached to you guys uh, for so many weeks. But more than anything, honestly, I stand here grateful that Jesus loves me, that Jesus loves my family, that Jesus loves um, our church more than I will ever know. And I continue to be overwhelmed by his grace. Look at that. First paragraph. I'm already starting to choke up. Dang it. Um, <laughs> But I am amazed by his forgiveness, and I am continually shaped by his relentless love. Um, I'm humbled that King Jesus would save a sinner like me, and honored that he would call a sinner like me to preach the glory of his grace to sinners like me every week in this place. And as Paul wrote to the Corinthians in his second letter, I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And I am glad to be here um, Uh, There we go. All right. (laughs) Open your Bibles now. Let's get into what we really should talk about. Psalm 103 is where we're going to be. Uh, In my time away, I uh, read a lot, listened to a lot of sermons, journaled every day. And I contemplated what I think are answers to really important questions about my life, about my sin, about my calling, about my priorities. And over many weeks, God slowly began to restore perspective To my life and my family and my ministry, C.S. Lewis famously wrote that I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. In the same way, my perspective was not uh, restored by looking directly at my life or my ministry, what I've done or what I've not done, but by looking deeply at our Lord. And in doing that, God reminded me who he was and who he is and how all that is revealed in the glorious person and work of Jesus Christ. And when I began to once again see God rightly in the face of Jesus, I was able to begin to see maybe something I hadn't seen in a long time, which is everything else rightly. And it's renewed renewed my conviction that my job is pretty simple as your pastor it's not my job to fix you i don't have that power but to help you see the riches of god's grace in all things despite all difficulty that's my only job so to that end our text is going to be psalm 103 which i had asked lord time and time again show me what to preach and this is where he led me psalm 103 He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west." so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. As for the man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to the children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh, my soul. This is God's word. Now Psalm 103 is, is a song, right? The book of songs, the book of Psalms, song of David. And likely David wrote this psalm later in life, perhaps after reflecting on his life and maybe even his calling with God over many years. It's a rich psalm which, which reads kind of like a deep prayer, Or a profound sermon that one might preach to themselves in private. But unlike most of our prayers, you'll notice it doesn't have a single request of God. And perhaps unlike most of our sermons, it doesn't end with three or four application points. About this psalm, Charles Spurgeon said something very interesting. He said, there is too much in this psalm for a thousand pens to write. It is one of those all- Comprehending scriptures, which is a Bible in itself, and it might alone almost suffice for the hymn book of the church. So, we don't know exactly what circumstance or feeling may have inspired David to write, but I tend to believe it was because of some affliction, perhaps caused by his own sin, perhaps caused by the sin of others, or just looking at the sin in the world around him. The author of the previous psalm is unknown, Psalm 102, and that one reads as a song of one who is hurting deeply, a song of one for whom God feels hidden or distant. It talks about lying awake at night. He sings about having trouble eating, whose days wither away, whose heart is heavy, and whose perspective of life is dangerously skewed. So perhaps an exhausted and despairing or otherwise hurting David needed a perspective change and so he wrote a new song. Experience has taught me and maybe this has taught you that singing, that I'm not a singer, although it was wonderful to hear your voices sing. Singing possesses the unique power to transform our perspective depending on the song, of course, but even in the midst of our struggles. Did you know that the Bible commands us to sing a lot? Psalm 47.6 says, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. The Bible contains over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing. Jesus sang with his disciples and in the letters of the New Testament we're commanded not once but twice to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another when we meet. Songs change our perspective because they proclaim much needed truth to us at a much needed time. They have power. And sometimes we need to sing songs to ourselves to compete with just the noise of the songs of the world or the noise of our circumstances sometimes we need to gather because I don't have the strength to sing a song and I need to hear someone else sing it or sometimes I'm gathering here because I have a song to sing that you need to hear And that's not to say that any ordinary song has the power to change our perspective, though I do think they certainly impact us. But not any ordinary song can transform what we see or relieve our distress or lift our hearts, right? You know, emo songs about how I feel or pop songs about what I want or country songs about what I've lost. Yes, I'm generalizing. The kinds of songs that I'm talking about is the song about God in response to God? It's the kind of song I needed. And I believe that's the kind of song Psalm 103 is. David writes here, Bless the Lord, six times in this song. Bless the Lord is, is speaking about praising God, speaking of his goodness, his greatness, his generosity, his grace. But you see, David is concerned with more than just going through the motions of singing a song. Which, let's be honest, we do sometimes when we gather together, oh, sing this song, bless the Lord, okay. Not often thinking about what the songs are actually saying. David doesn't command his tongue to sing godly songs. He doesn't command his mind to think godly thoughts. He doesn't command his hands to act in godly ways. He knows what he needs. He commands his soul to praise God. Did you know that it's possible to praise the Lord with your mouth and not your soul? That it's possible to praise God with your wallet and not your soul? that it's possible to praise God with all your religious practices and not your soul? To praise God with your Bible knowledge and not your soul. Was it not Jesus who himself said in Matthew 15, these people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So David commands his soul goes deep. He says, all that is within me. Praise God. The soul is is all of David's being. His his true essence, his core identity. He's he's not seeking half-hearted devotion to include a few parts of his life. But a full-hearted expression of praise. He's calling for things that cannot be seen. He's calling for all of his feelings to praise the Lord. All of his judgments to praise the Lord. All his desires, all his imaginations, all of his efforts to praise the Lord. He is directing his soul. He knows that whatever rules his soul is going to rule his life. And so he pens a song to center his soul and realign or fix his perspective. And I needed that. This first perspective shift in this song is so powerful. And it's that God's grace is more than enough for me. There's that song. God's grace is enough. Right? We hear it so many times, we don't think about it. Restoring our perspective begins with setting our minds in the right place so that our minds feed our souls rightly. And here's the deal. Sin has really screwed us up. It has tainted all aspects of our being, of our minds. And so our minds, left by themselves, naturally are going to dwell on, guess what? The bad things in life. What we don't have. What we wish we had. Essentially, you know, what? our natural disposition is to dwell on ourselves. Our circumstances, our pains, our needs. And so we try to combat this. I I do think we we make an effort. The world tells us to combat this, right? Our natural inclination is like, you know what? I'm just going to proclaim myself good thoughts and and good feelings. It's not that bad. Could be worse. You can do this. Be strong. And while well-intended, they're all centered on man. We don't need to sing songs to ourselves, about ourselves, to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. We need to sing songs that preach good theology about God and biblical truth. Songs of revelation, realigning us to what is true. So, restoring our perspective begins with remembering the graces of God. And this is what David actively does. He he calls his soul to bless God by remembering his blessings, to praise God by remembering his benefits. Now, remember, David's a king, so he's got whatever he wants. And I know it's our tendency when we think about, you know what, I'm going I'm to praise God for all my benefits. We start listing the benefits we have. And I'm not sure our list would match David's. He's not thanking God for the gift of his beautiful home. He's not thanking God and thinking about his family, his job, or his health. All things that are, quote, good, He commands himself to remember the gifts of grace, the only things that will satisfy the soul. He tells himself to remember that God forgives, that God heals, that God redeems, that God crowns with mercy and love. Why must the soul be reminded of such things? See, those are the questions I like to ask. I'm like, why those? And it's naturally easy to assume it's because we're so apt to forget or more so we're so apt to dwell on our guilt. We're naturally apt to dwell on our pain, on our struggle, on our poverty. You know, it's easier to feel guilty than it is to believe you are innocent in Christ. It is easy Easier to feel broken than it is to believe I am being healed in Christ. It is natural and easier to feel enslaved and stuck than it is to believe I am free in Christ. It is easier to feel like I am poor and I have less than I should than to believe that you are rich and have all that you have in Christ. That's where we naturally go. And that is why the soul must be reminded of what is true because the overwhelming power of suffering and of our struggles with our sin, they, call, they, they cause a spiritual amnesia for us where we forget who God is and we forget who we are and then we wrongly try to find satisfaction in the wrong place. We try to find satisfaction apart from the grace of God in Christ. This phrase came to my mind as I was Preparing two parts. First is forgetfulness breeds ungratefulness. Forgetfulness breeds ungratefulness. And ungratefulness breeds idolatry. Forgetfulness breeds ungratefulness and ungratefulness breeds idolatry. Instead of dwelling on what we have, focusing on what we have, setting our minds on what we have eternally in Christ, we dwell on what we think we need How now, what we don't have in our lives, in our families, or in the world. And we begin to find hope and seek salvation from this hell that we find ourselves in by making saviors out of better jobs and better kids, and better health, and better relationships, and better presidents, or just better circumstances. That's where we need to fix things. And we begin to be captivated by that, and hope in that, and find our value in that, which is not Christ. And truth be told, there is some level of happiness and satisfaction to be found in doing this at a fleshly level. But only Jesus gives us that deep soul satisfaction, that deep soul security, that deep soul value that can't ever be taken away no matter what difficulty, failure, or loss we experience. Isn't again Jesus Himself who said, what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? the implication seems to be clear that there's this tension between dissatisfaction in the world and satisfaction of the soul as if they work together. That you may not find satisfaction in both at the same time. The cross compels us to say, I may not have enough in my life. I may not have enough blank." I may not have enough money. I may not have enough health. I may not have enough security. But God's grace is enough for my soul. I may not have enough in this life. But God's grace is enough for my soul. That was the first perspective shift that I needed. But the second one kind of feeds the first It's important to note that all the benefits that David lists there, they only benefit sinners. You're not talking about forgiveness with people who don't need to be forgiven or redemption with people who are not in the kingdom of darkness and need to be purchased out of it. Our gratitude for who we are by grace in Christ, it, it increases insofar as we understand who we are without him. Remember, this song is about God, who He is, what He's done, and His self-revelation helps us understand ourselves. And so, as you read in verse 7-9, to 9, David writes that God made known His ways to Moses. And He also made known His name. In verse 8, that's the name That God himself gave to Moses as he kind of shoved him in the rock and walked by him. And the Lord, describing himself, said that. I am the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and steadfast in love. Abounding in steadfast love. And so you see, as David writes, that through God's relationship to Moses and his covenant people, we learn the ways of God. See, what is the law and the temple and the priesthood and these sacrifices? What do they reveal about the ways of God? More than there is to go into the sermon. But I do suggest we see that God's ways are to pursue sinners. To take the first step toward those who will not take a step toward him. God's ways are to invite sinners into relationship. God's ways are to show mercy to sinners, to pardon sinners, to redeem sinners, to dwell with sinners. God's ways are to be slow to anger with sinners and compassionate towards sinners. These are God's ways. And while people of Israel experience that which pointed to Jesus, we get to experience the fullness of His love and His mercy that came through His life and death and resurrection. And so, in verses 10 and 12, he gives some of the most powerful words in Scripture, the kind of song that you want to repeat to yourself over and over again for those who dwell in their guilt and dwell in their shame and wonder who they are with God. They say, He does not deal with us according to our sins. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. What a fantastic verse. What a difficult verse to believe sometimes. Sin is at least disobedience, but it's certainly more than that. David uses three words in this couple verses here to talk about sin, his sin, iniquity, and transgression. Without going too deep, know that one speaks about our failure that we missed the mark. Right, our love, our best love, is still less than perfect. One speaks about our brokenness that we are twisted out of shape, and one speaks about our flat-out rebellion. And David says that all of our failure, all of our missing of the mark, all of our brokenness, all of our rebellion has been removed so far away from us that the distance is incalculable in Christ. The distance is incalculable. And that is good news, but it's only good news because there was really, 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 really bad news that all of our failure deserves God's rejection, that all of our self-inflicted brokenness deserves God's disdain, that all of our rebellion deserves God's wrath. But God, I think I'm going to do a sermon series called But God, because there's several verses, a couple in Ephesians for sure, they're like, let me tell you how horrible it is! You are dead, you are evil, you are blind, you are a child of wrath! But God, The But God series, 1T, right? But God in Christ goes from being our judge to our heavenly father for those who fear him. And our father desires more than anything to show compassion to his children, to end their suffering, even to suffer in their place. He feels for his children. He loves his children. And he disciplines his children, but he never gives them what they actually deserve, which is death. Our good father has not blessed a good child. Know that he has blessed a very bad child. So here's my second perspective shift the first was God's grace is more than enough. And the second is this, no matter what I have or don't have, I always have more than I deserve. I always have more than I deserve. Can you imagine fixing your mind on that truth? Singing to yourself that truth over and over again in the midst of your circumstances, how that will change your perspective. Everything I have and everything I don't have is a gift and more than I deserve. If I experience loss, I have more than I deserve. If I experience less than, I have more than I deserve. If I experience failure, I have more than I deserve. If I experience pain or poverty or any kind of suffering, I have always in Christ more than I deserve. Imagine a song titled God's Mercy with a chorus, I have more than I deserve. I have more than I deserve. I have more than I deserve, sung all the time. That was the second shift that I needed. Because we have a thing about having more. If I have a little more, things will be okay. If I have a little more, things will be just fine and the truth is you already have more than you deserve and so David commands his soul to praise God's graces and he commands his soul to praise God's mercies and now he fixes his mind on the eternal and he writes in verses 15 and 16 as for a man his days are like grass so he's reflecting on himself all of mankind says he's like grass he flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more but contrast the steadfast love of the lord is from eternity from everlasting to everlasting from eternity to eternity exists forever always always has And in verse 19 he writes, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom's rule over all. So think about a couple things here. He's singing a soul about and to his creator and to his soul. He's reminding himself that because man is ultimately dust, he will fade away. Men, women, young, old, good looking, ugly, big, small, educated, uneducated, they're all going to go kaput one day. All of their works, all the monuments to their greatness, all their memories will be gone. Like a flower, it will bloom, and like the grass, it'll be gone. All that we accomplish in this world will vanish and be forgotten, and no matter how hard we try, given enough time, money, beauty, relationships, accomplishments, health, power, It'll all fade away. There's only one thing that lasts for eternity. Faithful love of God. Do you realize that, that even hope one day will be gone because one day we'll be with Jesus and we won't need to hope to be with Jesus. No more hope. Faith. Um, I'll be with Jesus so I don't put faith in something I don't see because Jesus is right there. But love? Love never ends. Love will always be there. The faithful love of God is eternal. But it's also important to remember that the Father who loves is also the king of the universe who rules. So you think about this. God is our heavenly Father? It said that He loves us like a father, and a father, right? He he always wants to give his children their best. Now he's not an imperfect father like me or or you. He is a perfect father, so he always like it's never tainted by sin. And there's never an agenda. There's never an accident. Like oh, I shouldn't have raised my voice. He does it perfectly. Perfect love gives his best always. And He is the sovereign creator who has the power to ensure His best is always given. Wait a second. What does that mean? It means God's love and God's rule go together. Time and tragedy and death can separate us from anything else we might love in this world, but nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Isn't that what Paul writes, right? Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, These circumstances are enough. God doesn't have... You're wrong! This suffering, this pain, this difficulty... God's love reigns and nothing can thwart it. It is eternal. And he has a throne that's established over all. And I checked the Greek and that means all. God loves and God rules. And because God loves and rules, everything that comes to pass is good. That's so hard to believe. In part of my sabbatical, I spent time reflecting on a lot of mistakes I've made. And I had a question, like, Wow, Lord, were you in charge of that? Were you in charge of that? Was your love in that? And his answer was yes. That perspective allows me not only to endure as God's love unfolds itself in my life. I say love because it maybe doesn't feel like fluffy love that we like, but it's good, real love. As it unfolds in my life, I, it gives me the power to do more than endure, but to actually invite and say, dare I say as Jesus prayed, I will be done. Because thy will is way better than mine. It reminds me of my lack of perspective. That I don't know everything. I don't see everything. I can't control everything. But there is one who does all of those. And does so perfectly in love. See, the truth is, we're all going to sing a a song to our soul. And it's either going to be a song about ourselves or it's going to be a song about God. All that is in us is going to dwell either on our success or lack thereof, our sin or our self-righteousness, our self-rule, or we are going to command our souls to sing of God's grace, of God's mercy, of God's love, and of God's rule. You know the song that we're supposed to sing is really the gospel. This ends in the same place every time. You should be used to it by now, right? It always goes to Jesus. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the song that we need to preach to our souls to believe it with our souls and not just our heads and to proclaim it from our souls because then it goes out into all the things that you can't see all our feelings all our preferences all our judgments all of our efforts all of our desires as Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, not who will, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We find God's grace and God's mercy, grace getting what we didn't deserve, mercy not getting what we did, and His love all in one spot, cross. In the beginning of my sabbatical, I listened very carefully and found that the tune coming from my soul was mostly about me. But after 14-ish weeks, I feel as though I was able to learn an old, familiar tune where God a song about God, where all of life is about him. And I think that's why David ends his psalm the way he does, where he invites all of creation, commands all of creation, including his soul, to sing in concert with him. And I'll end with these verses as he reflects on who God is and who he is was apart from him bless the Lord oh you his angels you mighty ones who do his word obeying the voice of his word bless the Lord all his hosts his ministers who do his will bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion bless the Lord oh my soul I pray that as we begin to sing you will command your soul to sing and that will impact your tongue to actually move Let's pray.